0: The tricky thing again, and it's all about the ego with wealth is in the moment you make it about the number, you're gonna do mistakes. So I created the most wealth for myself when I was really, really focused on building great things. Yeah. And I made rather the wrong decisions when I was focused on
1: how much money can I make with that decision. That's Christian Angermeyer. A German-born billionaire who's on the Sunday Times rich list. He's an investor, film producer, and founder who's accumulated a lot of wealth. But Christian is about much more than money. From his family office, a Pyron Investment Group, he invests and starts companies in areas from psychedelics to fintech, cryptocurrency, biotech, and artificial intelligence. He's a bit like a nutty professor or a nutty investor. He's really into longevity, he believes that within his lifetime, we will extend human lifespan to such an extent that we will voluntarily decide when we exit this life, and he's committing some of his vast fortune to making this a reality. Yeah, I know, he's fascinating, and I definitely could have spoken to him for well over the three hours we actually recorded together. Welcome to Secret Leaders from Kindling Media. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Surter. Today's episode is incredible. It was one of the hardest we've ever had to edit because we went into so many great topics for so many hours. And I think it's the perfect example of what Secret Leaders is all about, getting in-depth into founders' lives and uncovering what made them into the success they are today. Now, as I said, one of the things Christian is best known for is psychedelics. In fact, he's been called the world's first psychedelic billionaire. He is one of, if not the biggest investor in this space on earth. And that might seem a bit strange if you know that Christian is in fact basically a teetotaler. He doesn't smoke, he's a Bavarian who's never drunk beer. His biggest vice is tea and coffee. So how did he get into psychedelics? It all started at a dinner in 2013. A uh, friend said, oh my God, you need
0: to sit next to this guy. He's, he's a very famous neuroscientist. He's actually focused on what drugs do to your brain. His name is Rainer Sparnackel, And he could tell you why you could drink a glass of alcohol with us na- tonight and not die. And I was like, look, guys, I know that I'm not dying of alcohol, but exactly that you always trying to push me. I don't like the social pressure. That's that's the main reason I never tried and still i am practically never drinking alcohol because like i don't like the pressure then you have to do it when other people think you have to i'm very sort of individualistic and i want to do things when i want to do it it's
1: very weirdly the only drug that people judge you for if you don't do it
0: yes exactly and so anyway so so i had this whole evening i spent with rhino and he pulled out a chart which i always mention is like there was a guy or is a guy called another amazing guy called david Nutt. um he's here in the uk a very famous drug researcher and he wrote a whole book but the whole book can be summarized in one chart he wrote a whole book about um what is actually the real downside potential of drugs yeah and so which is manifold. like can you die can you get disabled and the outcome of this was that the number one worst drug in terms of holistic downside is alcohol the second worst is is heroin and then comes everything you think is bad from cocaine to crystal mass whatever he was like but look at the right side the right sides were practically zero downside he was like look at the right side they're all the psychedelics and that was actually his speciality i didn't know that yeah and nobody actually knew because he wasn't vocal about it because back then and i want to remind people that's like 2013 there was no michael Pollan. there was no netflix series there was nothing people were not talking about psychedelics ever and he was like you should actually instead of I can't do what your friends ask me for. I can't say you should drink alcohol, but you should do maybe psilocybin or LSD. And I was like, you're fucking crazy. Like I was really like, I was like, never ever this is going to happen. I just told you I'm not doing anything. Why should I do that? And then he was giving me the whole pitch that like they are actually zero risk or very low risk and that they have these massive upside because they make you more happy. They can They can uh, maybe potentially cure mental health issues. And I was like, but I don't need it. I really like, I am happy. I think I'm a very, I have a very good brain. I was always very happy about my brain, but I was like, look, send me everything. I'm always interested in new stuff. And that is crazy to new to me. So why don't we stay in touch? So Reiner started sending me research articles, old studies from the 60s. And this was then for one year, I was sort of fed with information about psychedelics. Then fast forward one year later, I was in the Caribbean with my best friends, big shout out to Julian and Landon, um, and they they are very hippie, so I knew they are doing this and this drug once in a while. I don't mind if other people like, yeah, I'm always telling people my opinion about it, but I, look, if as long as you know what you're doing. And they were like, oh, we're doing mushrooms tomorrow. We know you don't really like it, but maybe you want to give it a try. And they told me a lot about it as well. And I was like, look, this is so somehow. And now comes this point where if you're like in sync with yourself, if your ego is under control, you can hear that voice. And something deep down told me you should do it. But I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't all that sort of build up. Let's call it knowledge and confidence because of all the background, scientific background really it summarises the best. It's hands down the single most meaningful experience I've ever had.
1: Christian took that experience and went on to invest in and found two companies that focus on developing psychedelic drugs for mental health, Atai Life Sciences and Compass Pathways, which have been valued at over a billion dollars. And that's the thing about Christian. He has this rare capacity to take something he cares about, turn it into a business and make it a real success. Of course, lots of people dream of doing this sort of thing. Some try, but an even smaller number succeed. It's a skill set Christian developed early on in his life, growing up in rural Germany. It was literally
0: like in a movie. So I had the most amazing childhood, very shielded uh, and very like, picturesque, beautiful. In a certain way, because I think like people would not expect me to and even like everybody else did not including my parents did not expect me to become an entrepreneur yeah which was zero laid out like neither my parents nor anybody else there does something entrepreneurial so so when i started like sort of i mean i interestingly which then is also the big question why do people become what they are if it's not education if it's not your surrounding like is it genetics but why would genetics tell you that you want to be an entrepreneur or is it like more than that Do we have a soul like which sort of gives us sort of a hint yeah what our life mission is which i believe uh but like i really started like when i was six years old like very like classical cliche even wise like uh i started selling things like the first thing I did when i was learned to write was writing invoices or little price tags for everything and then i was selling salad on the street because i love gardening so i had a lot of passions so i always actually was trying to combine whatever i was interested in whatever painting gardening but then combine it at the end and sell the outcome which was sort of the entrepreneurial part of it so but it was always the combination following my passions and then making sort of a business out of it, which is practically still what I'm doing. I think that hasn't changed from me being 60 years old now to me being 44 years old. I'm still wanna do things I really, really love doing, and then ideally turn it into a business. It's the same what happened with psychedelics, which is the psychedelics is maybe the perfect grown-up version of that is like, I am in love with psychedelics myself, and then I turn it into a business.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, One of the things I get to do by interviewing, you know, almost 200 people now, you see, see trends and like, you listen to their stories of, you know, what the thing was, the moment or whatever. And actually I come to think about it, um, often, uh, it's kind of what you're paying attention to. So you, you told me, you told me earlier before we, before we were recording, but you know, a story about how, when you were 14 and you were tutoring people. And at some point, because you were good in school, because you were good at tutoring, at some point you reached capacity. So another person would have approached this uh, reality as, okay, well, I'm at capacity, so I can't take on any more students. Or you could have paid attention to, okay, what is what am I learning here? What is my new opportunity? And the way that you pay attention to that moment creates an insight, which is, oh, I could employ people, which unlocks a whole different path. It's like the sliding doors thing. That is a totally different path, right, of suddenly... Oh, cool! Um, You know, I can have people work for me, and I can, you know, set up something. I think it's so fascinating how those little moments actually, you know, they feel innocuous at the time, but they're so, so, so instructive of our futures.
0: Yes, by the way, I love how you put it because, like, that is maybe the non-like many. I think there was a great book who practically came to the same conclusion. It was looking at this thing which. Uh, I mean, there is this thing called the law of attraction, which is more the spiritual yeah. version. Like, yeah. do you attract things be- with your thoughts. Like, or meaning, my personal belief, if we go on the spiritual side, is that I that I think you are presented with opportunities, but you have to have an open heart and an open mind to sort of see them. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I don't care. Like, I always jokingly say, like, it's not about why it works. Is is the fact that kind of it works. Like, if you mm-hmm. have the right attitude and as you would say the right attention to things you see that yeah you see opportunities presented to yourself all the time and by the way the fun thing is like I am also I'm technically not a scientist myself I started with mm-hmm. biotech but like mm-hmm. I would say like I understand science we do a lot of it so I'm always like people like oh why, why are you so like why are you so open to talk about the spiritual side if you're if you're very scientific at the same time it was like it's it's not at all like a contradiction like it's actually interesting yeah. because like i have a lot of extra sheets where i follow up things like and try to approach it very like sort of um, uh, intellectually if you want to say it but i had too many things where i would say the super banal um, uh, uh, explanation of just paying attention or or that it's just proper planning did not uh did not really explain everything
1: mm. okay so coming back to uh a younger uh, christian Angermeyer, there's so many different places that we can take the interview and um you know i don't want to get too lost in minutiae but i think it's important to understand you know, you had these, uh, flirtations as we all do as entrepreneurs with basically selling shit, being charming communicators, people buying it, that becoming a bit of a thrill, having some experiences with, uh, with seeing number go up, so to speak. Um, but what was like your big break? Like at what point do you, do you consider, okay, this is an entrepreneurial break. This is my opportunity to make it in the world. What is the thing?
0: Um, was maybe three things together, which again, I always mention it. I did I do think life lines up pretty perfectly. you just need to realize that. So the one thing was what we just had was this whole tutoring business because that was like it was a, a realization, oh wow, you can make a lot of money especially by employing other people. I mean again, and a lot for like a 15 year old yeah. Um, but it, it it added up actually till I sort of finished high school um uh, It added up to a quite reasonable amount of money. Then I had the, I got a scholarship, so I was one of the best uh, sort of students uh, in in Germany in my grade, and um, and then I made it that I got a very prestigious scholarship, which I'm coming to that in a second why I needed or why, why it helped me, but that was great. So, but then came one thing which doesn't exist anymore in Germany. There came um, I had to do one year of uh, military service. Um, And now it's a little bit like I'm, I'm okay, it's far, far back that I can admit all the sins I've did when there was, because like, I was extremely against it. This was the point where I became kind of libertarian because the state cannot take away one year, one full year of my life. And I was thinking, how can I escape it? Uh, The good thing was that I was already Managing money for people, so I had a lot of doctors in my area and other friends, but also some doctors who may help because I also started in parallel to my tutoring business. I started to invest in stocks and quite successfully, so I, I had managed a little bit of money. So I knew that all these doctors, and now I come like the, the sort of a little bit like morally questionable part. They would write me like, "Okay, Christian is sick, 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 so he doesn't need to show up." So I, I was able to stay uh, at home. that sort of alternative and that was why this is so important because i was bored and i'm always want to work so i was really like i'm not i'm not the one who sits around for a year and parties away so even back then so in this one year i did just more tutoring i did more managing other people's money i did more investing so i had a full year where i got sort of thrown into that entrepreneurial life even more, like practically, let's call it full-time. And then when I went to university, there happened two things. The one is which I actually talk a lot about is that because of the scholarship I just got, uh, I did start studying economics, but I had sort of these two science tutors and they told me about an idea in the first, literally first tutoring session we had. I got the idea conceptually. I didn't get it in details because it was so so new and they were like the cracks in, in genetics. But I knew because I was very good at school and I had also a lot of biology in school, I knew where they want to go. There was one thing. But the other thing was that because I had this one year of like doing nothing else than being a young entrepreneur and kind of my mind was a little bit not, I don't know it's say able, most likely I would have made it if I would have concentrated, but I, I sort of was out of the academic thinking because while I was in high school, because I had such good grades and I actually loved learning for the sake of learning, but at the same time, the one year before had practically prepared me for saying, oh, wow, like, let's do a company now, because that's what I did the last 12 months. And I really, really love it. Yeah. So, again, things always come, I would say, at the right time in the right sequence. You just need to be able to see it or at least follow your instinct and sort of capitalize on it.
1: Christian actually dropped out of university when he was 20 years old to start a biotech company with those two professors he mentioned. It was called Ribopharma. It eventually merged with another pharmaceutical company and is now worth billions. After that, Christian began investing in tech companies, initially setting up a company with four friends. It didn't work out, testing his ability to accept what life throws at him. One of the
0: critiques people normally have of when they hear that like, oh, things happen for a reason. And even I like, like, if you then in the shit, so to say, like if things are really, really hard, then it's not as easy as I say now. Like it's then, yeah. because then you're there still and like, why is this happening to me? This is awful. I can't see anything good. And it happens to me as well. till 2012, I had sort of the same, now my holding is called a Pyron, yeah? Uh, and I'm sort of the only owner of a Pyron. It's my own family office, my own investment business. But till 2012, I had sort of a similar setup, an investment holding, but with four friends. Um, and um, um, so it was called differently because we had all our names in it. And um, and sort of, I remember hindsight that already since like 2010, so we did split up 2012. That's what I want to talk about. But like in 2010-ish, like two years before, I was like, oh, is this still the right setup for me? Because I had the feeling that i am producing or contributing more sort of to the growth of our assets to our performance to our success than my other four partners but we were all equal it was a little bit like in a marriage where you feel maybe okay or in a relationship like is this still the right thing for me so then i'm actually but i at least i think about myself but i think i really am like i'm a very loyal person i don't like really change as well like sort of so i tried to make it work a little bit like you try to make a relationship work yeah Uh, but it didn't get better it was also very hard like like a little bit like i don't know like in the relationship where you whatever try to say look i don't know you've grown old then your partner says but you did this like it was very hard to say can we renegotiate that what i want to say like this would have been one option but like i was like can i have 90 percent of it like because that's i think what i deserve but like they were like you're crazy Sort of in 2012, we finally uh, decided to split up, which was very painful. So, because I didn't want it, it felt like a divorce or like a very bad one, or it actually felt worse. It felt like a failure. Yeah. Then, also, people around us, which was very interesting, although it wasn't a failure, but we just split up and sort of divided the assets. Like, but, like, the people around us considered it like a failure. Yeah. Uh, there were press articles who considered it like a failure. Yeah, so it was really bad. Uh, and if you have asked me, like at several points, I was like, ah, oh, I just take it back. Like, let's go on like that. Yeah. But some you couldn't, like someone, the thing wasn't, it was sort of, the, the motions were in process. In that moment, I was really suffering. Like this was for months, like and it was really bad. Like, all right, I actually, or I, I felt it really bad. And then I tried to remember me every morning, but again, it's so much easier said than done okay, there must still be a reason that this is happening. Maybe I just don't see the reason right now. And then hindsight, that was practically the beginning of, of really like a way more successful, yeah, financially successful thing. Because like, yeah, I just realized, yeah, I'm hopefully pretty good at what I'm doing and I'm really good in doing it my way. yeah. And then the problem we shared again, like a little bit like in a marriage where not one and one is three, but like, we were almost hindering each other i don't actually we realized also that the others maybe in their own way would strive more if they sort of do it their way but like sort of while at the beginning of our partnership the mixture of us was creating more yeah at the end of the partnership the mixture of us was actually a burden and if it hadn't happened so i'm very very grateful although it was a very painful uh, episode
1: so as you were talking i was thinking about a uh, thing you said earlier, or an insight certainly earlier, you know, coming back to tutoring, coming back to the insight of, you know, you only have so much capacity, so you need to hire people, so you need to make a business. And that created another business, uh, biotech company, right? Um, that created a really big springboard for you, right? I think at that, at that point... Um, Am I right in thinking when you exited that company, you know, you suddenly are on a different stage, right? Uh, You're on a different level of entrepreneurship and awareness. Like the name Christian Angermeyer is suddenly more potentially interesting to open doors for the future that you want than it was when you had a tutoring business. I guess the question that I would like to know is over the last few years, as I understand it, like, you know, your focus has really been on investing. And I wonder if one of the reasons for that is The same insight, which is even as an entrepreneur with then thousands of employees and an enormous company, it's much harder to um, scale yourself, your own time, when you have all these different interests that line up and things that you're interested in, and therefore taking active investing positions and being able to be on different boards and take that piece seems like the most sensible way for you to split your interests and your time at a certain level.
0: Yeah, the, 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 the initial impulse was different, like... I think one other thing, hopefully, like it's always bad if you like praise yourself or like, oh, or say, I think at least that's the German mindset. So so I realized that I have certain characteristics which are really good for an entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, actually, I would say exceptionally good, which is like, for example, having the idea that I'm very proud that in this millennia, at least I was the very first one to have the idea to uh, bring back psychedelics into the medical world. Yeah, having the idea, then gathering people around it, raising money, uh, developing the vision. I think that's where I'm really good at. However, then I'm not the best CEO to run a business because again, I have too many things in my head and whatever. So, So I sort of decided that I'm better on the, let's say, let's call it rather ownership level than just investing because Sort of, we do both at Apiron. So we have a business formation team where we start companies ourselves. Yeah, so our business formation side is really strong. But at the same time, we're investing, and when we when we um, when we invest, then um, I feel though as if I'm uh, the entrepreneur. So we're extremely hands on, extremely close to the companies. While on the other side, when we start companies, I immediately. Try to hire people who or hire, even bring people in as co-founders, so they're practically running those companies like a Thai. We have a great amazing management team. When I'm the founder, yeah, I know I need to bring in people who do the day to day, who are really operations guys. And when I'm the investor, I think you could ask all our portfolio companies, and they would say oh you're much more hands-on or your definition mean, a lot of investors say they're hands-on it's almost like nobody says he's not hands-on because that sounds weird it's a little bit like always jokingly say nobody says he or she is a bad kisser but you find it out when push comes to shove like and the same like i think our definition of hands-on positively is sort of different than than of many other investors very simple takeaway to analyze the last 10 years that i i always have to really do things because i believe in the product believe in the company passionate about what company is doing and either the company i'm starting myself or the company i'm investing in in the moment i make it too much of an irr excel sheet okay i can invest and i'm investing because i think whatever we can sell the company in three years for that but in the moment it becomes too much of numbers yeah i made mistakes because yeah, uh, whatever this is, like what I would say that is one of my big takeaways. Follow your passion, build great things, do companies or do products or it might be medical products or whatever, which you believe in and you believe in that other people want it. Yeah. Uh, then the numbers are following and then the numbers, wealth then is just, an, is just an expression of the sort of value built for society. Yeah. And it's not it's not a value in itself you should follow. Uh, in the moment you focused on, oh my God, how rich I am, I think you make really bad decisions. And you're also not happy because that fluctuates. Like the stock market goes down. Should I be unhappy now? Yeah. Uh, the good thing is, I look at my companies and I'm like, hey, they're still doing actually what they were supposed to do in a good way. They're still the same companies like two years ago. I was very happy with them two years ago why should i be less happy with them if they suppose mm. if they're doing what they're supposed to do and progressing and whatever winning clients proving science whatever uh, just because the stock market at the moment mm. is valuing the companies the same that's gonna follow yeah. yeah if we build great companies
1: and ultimately risk and luck are basically doppelgangers so you might as well just you know pick things that you actually do love at least a little bit and have some passion to follow.
0: Yeah. And by the way, but again, it's all easier said than done. Actually, what I Mm -hmm. said now, then I still wake up and look at the stock market prices and then you still get annoyed, you get negative emotions. You're still fallible. Yeah. So, and that's the ego, the ego, which tells you, oh my God, like you're on paper, you're less richer than you were a year ago. Oh my God. Like Whatever I think all that ego and all the negative stuff, the ego is producing, fear, um, um, greed and whatever, is really bad for being a great entrepreneur and a great investor.
1: You know, you just talked very, very um, briefly, you know, understanding your own strengths and weaknesses. I'd love to talk to you about ego. So on so many reasons. One, because you've had multiple psychedelic experiences. So um, I'm assuming have had the opportunity to experience ego there. But also because um, ego plays a role so much in in our career journeys, right? It plays a role around hiring. Um, It plays a role when you first make your big serious amount of money. And you know, you can like, choose to be a flashy, Uh, prick who shows the world, or you can choose to invest in the next thing, which people don't see the fruition about for years. And there's all of these different trends and themes about um, ego that grows throughout a career. And I'd love to know um, how you think your ego and your relationship with your ego has changed over the last 10 years. And I'd love you to pepper in both business experience and also your psychedelic insights too, where that's uh, played a place.
0: And well, it's a very good, very profound question with a lot of nuances to answer. But if let's start with the psychedelic and maybe explain it briefly for the ones who who, who have no uh, psychedelic sort of background. So so one sort of explanation or one uh, thing which is happening when people do psychedelics. So we know in the meantime, by the way, which is one of the reasons why this entire psychedelic renaissance is, is actually possible. Um, is that we understand the brain? Right. While in the '60s, when people did psychedelics, they were just able to to see, oh, people acting funny for some hours, yeah, and then they seem to be much better. So we actually had this is was my where I built my confidence on when I when I started thinking about bringing psychedelic back into the medical world was like we had all these these evidence in the in the last century of what positive they can do, but in the last century nobody could really explain why yeah so which but is never a good thing in drug development there are very few drugs which are approved where we can prove efficacy and safety but still can't tell you why they act yeah and over the last years we really started understanding our brain we're able to really sort of explain and 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 uh, and see why what are psychedelics actually doing so in one thing they're doing we have a part in our brain which we could call the, the seat of the ego, where the ego is created in a broad meaning, meaning sometimes you the ego is very narrow, it's the one which makes you buy a flashy car, but like the ego as a whole, like really who are you? And why do I believe that I'm Christian and you are Dan? Why do I think we're two different entities? And 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 this part of the brain is sort of either reduced or or completely shut down on the psychedelics. So But while people might then be afraid, oh my God, what is left if my ego is gone? I always would describe it, you suddenly realize that there is something which is always there. So I think the important, the first and most important realization is that this is not something which is filling a void when the ego is gone, but this is something which is always there. The ego is just so loud and so aggressive 24 hours yeah even when you sleep yeah uh, it makes you dream about things you crave or want or hate or fear or whatever so and in the moment the ego is shut down you realize wow this 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 so now it's the question how will we call it We can call it spiritually the soul you can call it your inner voice you can call it your subconsciousness but suddenly you realize this is always there and if the ego would just be a little bit a little bit more silent more quiet you would actually be able to sort of listen to that much wiser part of your brain all the time so and maybe by the way we just dislearned it in our modern society which is always hard to prove because in anthropology like we don't know really like how people thought and whatever so there is this part and if you listen to it this is why a psychedelic trip works because like when you are listening to it you suddenly gain all this sort of insights about yourself about really want in life what you don't want and it sounds so simple but these are the really um the really core questions and also the core things you need to know in order to live a happy and successful life is that you first start with yourself and know yourself yeah uh know your strengths know your weaknesses know what you really want what makes you happy because then normally that goes hand in hand if you really do and work on what you're passionate about and what makes you happy, then success is following, but a lot of people don't even know and whatever. That is all happening under a psychedelic trip when this, what you said, like this, that's, they call it ego death or ego reduction, yeah, is coming, which shows coming now to the business life that too much of an ego is, is a risky thing because you get sort of, and not just because like outside people might say, oh, this guy is a douche or a dick or whatever. Yeah, but like, too much of an ego makes you actually not have access to your wiser part of your brain yeah and but the problem is so and by the way i mean i just actually realized it that it happened to me over the last years again like the more success you have the more this ego is fed yeah and sort of the ego is sort of this really dangerous part because like you need it and you Mm. want it because it makes you go and you couldn't survive in this world without it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's sort of, it's such, I think it's such a small balance to, to walk. I think mastering your ego is like a lifelong sort of mission where you never can say you did it because, in the moment you said it, you did it. Yeah, you
1: ruined it. It's the best paradox of them all. If you ever have the thought that I'm finally there, you know you're not there.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, but I think it's one of the most important things to succeed uh, without then, again, without taking away, it's this fine balance. Because again, parts of your egos are extremely helpful. Yeah. And I think you also can almost say like every, every good thing. If you have too much of it yeah like if you have you want to have ambition but you don't want to be greedy yeah you wanna there's always these two things like sort of the good side of it or the moderate side of it yeah is is a virtue but if you excessively playing on it yeah then it becomes a a vice
1: totally and you know you know just um uh, a few reflections as you were speaking so you know, one of the things when people ask me, you know, like, what is Rego or how, you know, how can I make sense of that? Because you kind of alluded to it. Like one of the really good descriptions I've heard of it is essentially, you know, when you're asking that question to yourself, who, like, who is asking it and who is the listener? So you are the listener is like a really nice way for people to frame it because everyone does this. I have a a note on my fridge, which I, I love. And it really makes me laugh, which um, says there's a little voice inside your head, reading this pretty much every day. I look at that and that's the reminder of this whole ego dynamic. It's so good and it's so simple. It's the only thing I have on my fridge.
0: But there is also a voice in your head or maybe you don't hear it, but that's the positive thing. Like, I think if you can manage your ego again on the psychedelic, it becomes very obvious. But like, Mm. I think the best, the number one talent people could have, and I'm trying to have, if you really like balance your ego out in a way that you can and even if it's just a hunch, so my theory is that like what we call a gut feeling or stuff like that, or like sometimes you do things where something inside tells you either positively, that's the right thing to do, or maybe mm-hmm. says like, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, and you still do it. Yeah, but like an investment or whatever. So again, call it your inner voice, your uh, gut feeling. I think, and I have good examples, positive, when you're moderating your ego and when you're in kind of a good or if you're kind of a good level of your ego, you can hear or you can access that source all the time, which is in a, in a very extreme version, you access on the psychedelics. But I think one of the, the things which I'm trying to take away out of psychedelic experiences is that I'm hopefully every day able to access that, again, wiser more wholesome, smarter not in a business sense, but in sort of a human sense, part of my again, whatever it is, if it's I don't want to always say my soul or whatever, because some people might say, oh, I don't believe in that. But there is something. And it's actually completely stupid, yeah, to not try to harness the power of whatever you want to call that.
1: I think it's really interesting as well, um talking about talking about ego um as well when it Pertains to something some people will call crass or tacky or whatever, but actually something like direct and important in people's happiness and what we strive for to an extent whether we like to admit it or not, which is money. The path to wealth generally relies more on people's psychology than it does on finance, because actually a lot of it is about delayed gratification. You get some money today, and you can suddenly afford to borrow the money that you need to buy the BMW, to buy the things that you wanted, or Laid gratification, invest it wisely, which is what you should do, and be able to afford that on your own right later. A lot of this stuff is ego driven, right? It's ego driven by what we see in society. And I think one of the really nice correlations, it, you know, certainly one of the things that I've been exploring lately, I can say, is, you know, this idea that um, actually, you know, one of the most powerful ways of raising your wealth level isn't to raise your income, it's actually to raise your humility. To understand that you don't need those things quite so much. And actually, um, you know, compound interest being the eighth wonder of the world, um, if you make better decisions with these things, you know, you can get much more into an investment mindset. And so, obviously, as an investor with a private family office, et cetera, you're a wealthy guy, you allocate funds, you take bets, and that's how you accumulate wealth. But how do you? Get to wealth? Well, you get to wealth by not blowing your load on everything that you possibly can all at once, right? So it's taking a considered approach, building up the right stories and the right behaviors over time, um, through, you know, a long journey that starts with tutoring and is currently where it is today.
0: Well, okay, again, by the way, it's, it's great if you made this what we love if you have a podcast where it's not just like question answer, because like you said so many things which I just could like say, okay, that's what I wanted to say as well. But like the power of compounding is one thing. Like things sometimes take time. And again, it's very hard because a good, a good characteristic of an entrepreneur is also that you are conscious of time and you want to have things quickly and this is why you're pushing and this is why you're passionate. But it's, it's, I think for all these things, it's this fine line. What I just wanted to say about this, about actually any virtue which you would, which you would attest to a great entrepreneur, like passion, passion, Uh, pushing boundaries, whatever. These are all great things. But if you know yourself yeah, and if you have a good sort of self-control, self-reflection, you should know. But again, we all forget it because that's this sort of boost of the ego, which I I had just multiple episodes in my life. And then, but someone, maybe because you have to learn it the hard way because things go wrong or you realize you made a mistake and then if you analyze it you you know when be, did actually my 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 talent like my passion my that, my this and this become became actually sort of the problem yeah um and uh yeah so and for example like it's a good thing for entrepreneurs to want things quickly and push the boundaries but you also have to know should realize should accept that certain things take certain times you can trying to make them a little bit quicker but like certain things take time and if you try to do it too quickly you're gonna fail yeah which is it would be a pity so so that is so or or in a positive way, the power of compounding is there like if you do things the right way long enough best long enough and make good decision yeah simple as that hard to be done but like you're gonna you're gonna build up wealth.
1: Christian's family office, a pyron investment group, has a mission to build companies that shape the next human agenda. The whole point is to look at what might be the next big thing for human beings. So, what does he think is in store for us? I think the media plays a very sort of, I would say negative role because like
0: the algorithm, it's not maybe the media itself, it's not that individual people want to do that but like the way the media has evolved in online media and online media is like by okay which article gets more clicks whatever we have built up these sort of uh, feedback negative feedback loop that negative first of all shortened yeah we had that before like things are sometimes more complicated than black and white and whatever things get too much shortened we don't have debate but especially negative headlines sell yeah or or create clicks but that is, I think, has sort of skewed our view on how actually on which positive trajectory we are as humans. So I'm deeply, deeply convinced. You could say I'm a stupid eternal optimist. But if I, what I want to say is I have, if I look at our portfolio, which is across many tech and biotech sectors, um, I have so many reasons to be positively excited uh, about the future. What is happening now or will happen in the next 20 years has started to happen is that we fundamentally redesigning the world around us and even maybe more exciting inside us psychedelics and much more and why this is so important because i think the last 30 years yes we did cool stuff but if we really honest like a lot of the things were like oh we changed the value uh, the the supply chain we, we change delivery like amazon is still delivering stuff like it's just different i don't go to a shop anymore meaning it's great and it's very handy or i i order a car with uber and then there is a driver for me but it's still like people in the 50s already had a driver they had to order differently but like it's still i'm going into a car who has a human as a driver and going somewhere it's not a flying car it's not a driverless car Or maybe I wouldn't show up anyway because my, uh, I could project myself with a hologram and could still sit at home and have a lovely dinner on a beach. Like, so, but that stuff, which people would call, I would say, sci-fi or even fantasy, I think is going to happen the next 20, 30 years. To your answer, what excites me really overall to not name one of them, yeah, is that we really, we are in this golden age of, science entrepreneurship and innovation yeah mm. uh even if we at the moment think oh this is all like uh whatever going uh down because of inflation that's a blip yeah when i really see what fundamental innovation is coming up meaning and biotech like take biotech like i deeply deeply believe we're gonna live we like we like sort of i mean anybody who's younger than me anyway but I'm in my age, like around 40, 50, whatever. We do have the potential to live some hundred years. Yeah. Not because there is a magic pill dropping down uh, one day. Aging is a very, very complex disease, but we're going to gradually shift and push life expectancy, repair, maybe even rejuvenate. Yeah. And there will be, I would say, in the next 10 to 15 years already, there will be this one magic year where we win statistically more life expectancy than more than one year than the one year we just lost. And then sort of practically once we do that, once we win more life years per one year of science, yeah, all is open. So I think we should all remember us with all the negative headlines of war in Ukraine, of potential nuclear war, which is insane that we have to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also like of, oh, inflation is killing startups, whatever. Yes. I think that's going to be another really harsh six to 12 months yeah because like we need to sort of go through that cycle but that cycle is a blip in a in a very big picture uh, picture unbelievable time for humanity which i'm super super excited this is what makes me going in the morning that so much is happening the the world is changing and i think changing in a good way and i want to be a small part of that yeah with psychedelics with innovations with finance or we we sort of uh, build ourselves, yeah, uh, because I think we're going to go into this golden age of, of humanity.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's really um, interesting. I, I have a lot of the uh, same interests. I was reading, as I'm sure you've read, Lifespan by David Sinclair, and there was a part in it when he was discussing, debating it with his daughter. And, um, you know, hard for him because he's a longevity science uh, scientist. And his whole perspective, as you'll be aware, is that um, aging is a disease. And so, therefore, like any disease, you can combat it and you can take that approach to, uh, like, rejuvenating yourselves and making yourself live longer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And his daughter fundamentally believes that that's a terrible thing for society because, obviously, old, old fuckers like him and you and me, even in her perspective, are the ones that ruin the world, etc. And the really interesting debate that he has there is... Um, and, and obviously also overpopulation, right? And so, you know, you have all these new problems and the reason the, the reason and logic he uses for why the longevity science is so fascinating and so important and so exciting is actually because a fundamental challenge with brilliant scientists and society in general is forcing retirement um, in essentially what is about to become your golden age. So if you imagine the accumulated wisdom and insight and intelligence of people that are working in these careers with specialisms over 30, 40, 50 years... Uh, if you can get great years out of them, the 60th, 70th, and 80th year of all of those people is going to be their absolutely best quality work where they can solve the biggest problems, solve overpopulation with technology, with you know new energy, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And I thought it was such an interesting way of explaining you know, the benefits of longevity and actually why that's so important.
0: 100%. And by the way, it's, it's two things. It's very sad, but I hopefully, because I also know other young People who are way more optimistic, but it seems that this is a little bit the damage we, whoever we is, have done to that current young generation is that pessimism, yeah, which is by the way often unfounded. Like there is a, there is a great, uh, can can't come up with his name. There is a great e- economist who here in the UK, I think he's at LSE. Like he, he, he checked, like okay, what 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 really is if we live much longer. Will then our economies collapse or whatever? And it's the opposite, by the way. They're going to boom because one thing, people always have this misconception about longevity in terms of, oh, I, if you tell them you can live to 120, then they picture a very old relative who's maybe 95 and who's in a very frail state and then they're like oh my god and i'm gonna live like that for the next 20 30 years no i don't want that truth is you cannot have life extension of, of life expectancy without significant rejuvenation and then if you tell people well but you could be like up to whatever more than 100 in your current 40 or 50 or even 30 year you get younger old state they're like oh then it's different yeah because then you can be part of the workforce you have then other discussions how can we intellectually be part of the workforce by the way that is where psychedelics come into play again because like the one thing is are we physically able to still work the other thing is our brain able to not just work but like we will need to anyway by the way even younger people will need to learn a new job every some years because
1: the world is, tur- uh, is is turning so far But anyway, but like so, it's it's yeah. You can't have health span without lifespan, or oh, lifespan without health span. That's terrible. But what what what? Not
0: frightens because I think it's not something you frighten. But like what's sad is like that, especially younger people always seem to start with the worst case. Oh, like it's gonna be bad for the environment. No, because like if we ma- manage that, we're gonna manage some other stuff as well. Like uh, I think technology. Is, is the solution for climate change, yeah? And we should not just so much focus ourselves. But that's what we do. We focus on scarcity. We focus on, oh, we all need to consume less. Like, maybe we should make more innovation. And there is so many creative ideas of geoengineering, whatever, to combat climate change. So I'm not talking down climate change. I'm just saying maybe we approach it. Actually, my view is always when you approach something with fear you have already lost, yeah? And I think we're approaching, for example, climate change at the moment with panic, fear negative emotions we should approach it with positivity optimism and say yes it's a problem but by the way let's face it we have one amazing track record as human beings we are pretty good in solving problems and coming up with solutions we just need to be optimistic and not trying you will we will not i'm very convinced of that we will not come out of or we'll not solve climate change by flying less or by sort of trying to to build up a scarcity mindset we're gonna solve climate change if we have an optimistic mindset and invent things which will help us yeah, take carbon out of the air yeah um, uh, there's many fascinating ideas around geoengineering anyway sorry but i'm getting swept away like but like i think we need this this, this younger generation what you said about they think that it is sad that we and i'm always trying to give the optimistic outlook because factually again i hope i have a little bit of authority because i can look on, on more than 100 portfolio companies in that sort of Biotech and deep tech areas, yeah, factually we're making so great advancements, which net will be great for humanity. Yeah, we just need to focus on that.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned as well, you know, the mindset on, on learning. Um, so speaking about future, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Alvin Toffler, who is a very famous futurist, you know, wrote one of my favorite quotes, which is uh, the illiterate of the 21st century won't be people who can't read and write. There'll be those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I think that is
0: okay. That's a perfect quote because yeah. what helps you with that is psychedelics and neuroplasticity.
1: Yeah. Okay. Listen, um, I know we could talk clearly for hours and hours and hours and hours. However, that would be irresponsible of me. Your time, our listeners. We have to edit. You, you name it. So. Um, I'm going to have to find a lovely way to wrap up our conversation. And it's so difficult when you're speaking to someone who um, has such a vast array of interest. Um, My final question, Christian. Um, So for people that want to go on um, a journey to change the world, which I think is the summary, I would say, of how you're setting about in your own life um what is the advice you'd give to them what is uh what is the key principle or the key thought you want to leave them with so they can feel inspired to go and do the same thing
0: i really think there is not one advice because it's so personal i would say i started really with some amazing books as simple as it sounds but then you need to read them with the right mindset that's sort of a little bit of problem. i read them very early so practically i read them in my teens when my mind still was very had a lot of neuroplasticity itself like just it was young uh, but like it started with the book so my favorite books not just favorite like i mean, really like my thing in english would say formative books are napoleon hill thinking crow rich then all the dale carnegie books but i mean they all at the end tell you the same there is another great author. i don't know the title in english but dr joseph murphy who's a little bit more on the religious side but it's the same um so as so of these core positive thinking books of the last uh, century. Uh, Then on the more spiritual side, if people want to go there, is Law of Attraction, which is, again, sort of the same, just in different words. Yeah. Um, If you feel like you're maybe older or whatever, you feel like you don't have the openness anymore, obviously, I cannot say now you should do psychedelics because in the Western world, uh, they are still illegal. Um, And I do hope that we very, very soon will have psychedelics available first for mental health issues but then obviously therapists could decide why they applying it however till then uh, because the question comes a lot so i'm saying it without being asked like there are countries where it's legal yeah uh in, in in latin america or south america uh there are two great clinics in the netherlands who explore a little bit of a loophole which uh, they, called it, they called synthesis and field trip i can just recommend it doing it great um, so that could be a way yeah, to, uh, to sort of have the right mindsets and then sort of starting uh, with those books. But then the most important thing is with which tool you ever get there is what we spend a good portion of the podcast on. And I think it was the right thing to spend that much time on is on the ego to master your ego and to, to, to harvest and, and sort of, uh, and build on your strengths. So on the good sides of your ego, but to know when your ego is going wild and sort of to limit. The downside and that's going to be a lifelong challenge and then at the same time try to find sort of that inner voice that gut feeling that part of your brain which you then might be able to access if you master your ego a bit because i think that we all instinctively know i don't want to give now one tip yeah again the books i think are, are really worthwhile but like i think we all we don't need tips nobody gave me a tip yeah, and I'm not saying that because I'm like, grumpy that somebody should have given me, no, I'm saying that because, like it all lined up because I had sort of that openness. Listen to yourself because you set your your, you set your game. You are the designer of your game, which is called life. Yeah, um, there is no reason than playing that game over and over again. And the only person who can really tell you what is your thing, like what excites you, what you should do is yourself because, you're the designer uh, of your own game.
1: Yeah, and, and I am like the biggest believer in like wholeheartedly for my entire life that your inputs drive your outputs. So if you want to be a certain way, and this is the core facet of neuroplasticity, if you want to be a certain way, if you want to think a certain way, if you want your life to be a certain way, you read the books, you listen to the podcasts, and you also filter your social media even. You follow the right people, you you silence the wrong people. Most importantly, fill your brain with great information and uh, watch your life unfold, right? Like, people are much smarter than us have written about these things in books before. Read the books, learn new ideas, explore with curiosity. That is the fundamental of how to build a great knowledge base and then start to build the foundations of uh, interesting life. And that's absolutely the story of yours, because listening to it, I think it's been amazing and I'm really thrilled that when i ask you like the you know the core lesson and stuff you actually brought it back to books because i do that so often too i think it's just so underrated and so important
0: by the way so last thing like moving moment now but it's interesting when you when i talked to you because uh, you emailed me these questions about moving moments and one moving moment was when i loved latin and seneca seneca wrote a lot of letters and he was a stoic and one in one letter and that was really like impressed me so much when reading it was he was talking about immortality and and how to really like kind of become immortal and his point of view was that we have so much time at our fingertips we just first of all we're wasting a lot of it with negative emotions with worrying whatever but the second point he was like what is life sometimes if not distilled learning and distilled experience? And we have this distilled experience. And this said a person 2,000 years ago in books. So his point of view was like, by reading books, biographies or philosophical books, like about what other people thought and already thought about life, you practically, his quote was, you adding with every book you read, you're adding one more life to your own one because you're absorbing mm. that. And he said, by this, we can be practically mortal because we can add so many lives already now to, our, to his, your own one. Saying from a person 2000 years ago, and now fast forward, that's one of the other things which I wish every young person could see. Like, you have all that knowledge in front of you. You can go on Twitter, you can go on YouTube you you have all the books available uh, on your kindle like but now you have all that on your fingertips like life is so amazing and offers you so many opportunities and maybe almost too much
1: yeah how do you choose to pay attention
0: but like still i think it's easier at least it's not harder and like i think this is all in front of you you need to find that sort of connection coming back to that to your inner voice and then you do know what's right for you and not
1: And assuming assuming that the book that you were referring to from Seneca was on the shortness of life, I think the perfect way to end this podcast with, uh, you know, the longevity expert that you are as well is uh, one of my favorite quotes from that book on Seneca, which is, life is long if you know how to use it.
0: So learn how to use it.
1: Christian, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. And I think both of us have got younger through the conversation. So there's a spirit of longevity in action.
0: No, I loved it. Thanks for having me. And hopefully everybody had as much fun
1: as Dan and I had. Christian Angermeyer, what a discussion.
0: Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become
1: better at what you do.
0: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks.
1: Told by leading names in sport and beyond.
0: Who know what it takes to get to the very top.
1: There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. Now, this episode was produced by Ruth Edwards and brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stollerman. We'll be back next week with more inspiring stories from the world's top entrepreneurs. See you next time.